So welcome to Oikos. We're glad that you're with us. Last night I did the sermon, and let me tell you, that was a small mistake compared to how many mistakes I made last night. So you guys get second round. It's going to be, maybe I shouldn't make the expectations too high, but second round, we are in the last week. I'm sad because I've really enjoyed going through Genesis. How many of you are reading our daily texts? At least three-fourths of it a week. You're like doing the math going, how much is that? Because I don't want to lie in church. How many of you have started the text and then you kind of dropped off? It's kind of confession time. Hey, thank you, Brenda. See, Brenda wants to make sure that anyone else that's done that, it's okay. Brenda is an awesome Christian lady. Here you go, Brenda. You didn't even know you are going to be in the sermon, but you are now. And what happens with many of us is that we start something because we hear the Lord calling us into it. We want to do it. We want to do it. We want to desperately do it. And then other things start happening and we stop. And so my encouragement to Brenda this morning is for everybody else out there too. You can start again. Don't have shame. You have the guilt. You have all that. But all God says is my grace is for you. And you are my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. So come read my word once again. And don't worry about what you forgot. All right? So that's for everybody else too. So if you haven't started reading though, I said by this point you're going to be on my bad side. <laughs> but the good thing is, is that I'm going to talk about reconciliation today. So let's get into the text. This week as I was listening, this... This seemed to be the main word that popped out to me. I was working on the sermon on the airplane back from St. Louis. The reason why I've already given the sermon once is because I was at New Church. New Church is the church that Oikos is 100% behind, and we are planting with Frank Hart out in Katy. I got to give the sermon out there, and let me tell you, the spirit is moving in Katy, Texas. There's a good group of people ready to do a big launch in just a couple of weeks. And so keep on praying. Thank you. If you haven't heard about New Church, go online, look up New Church. You'll see a lot of crazy videos and an awesome, awesome community. But as I was out there, we were in St. Louis because Frank has decided that it's time to be a pastor. He's the one leading New Church. And so the way our group, our denomination does it is that we have this thing called SMP, which is an acronym because we have to have acronyms so no one knows what we're talking about. It's, let me give you what it stands for, specific ministry pastor. You still don't know what I'm talking about. Basically, it's a pastor, only it's a pastor that has some limitations, but that's it. But he can continue to go on to become what they would call me, which he would go, Really? I'm a general pastor, not like general, like you get a general, stars, that'd be kind of cool, but that's not, that doesn't happen, so just general, like I'm whatever, I'm an ordinary pastor, but he's started this school, and what it takes, just so that you know, four years, so it's not a shortcut by any means, what he's doing is he's going to have to read like 200 to 300 pages a week and write a journal, and then they meet for class for two to three hours every week for the next four years. So be praying for Frank. It's not an easy journey, 
But what's awesome about it is that he gets to be a pastor right now while he does his school. So he doesn't have to be taken out of Katy and go to St. Louis or Fort Wayne where we have two seminaries to go figure out how to be a pastor and then come back, which is very unlikely. Instead, he gets to do this right now. So that's awesome. Just wanted to give you guys an update on a couple things that as a family, you're a part of. So be excited about what the Lord is doing in this small community that we call Oikos. So this morning we are in Genesis chapter 32 and 33. As I said, I was working on the sermon in the airplane, and I changed it three times before we landed. But I think this is right. So strap on your belts, open up your Bibles, chapter 32 of Genesis. If you haven't been with us, where we're at in the story is that Jacob is a cheater. That's the easiest way to remember it. Jacob cheats. Jacob gets a word from the Lord, and instead of just trusting it, he does what many of us try to do. He tries to manipulate his way there instead of trusting that the Lord will take him there. So Jacob does everything that he can possibly do to get what, he, what the Lord has already promised him. And I think we often do that too. So what has happened to Jacob is he has been sent off because his brother Esau said he was going to kill him. And since Esau was going to kill him, he left for his uncle Laban. Uncle Laban was a cheater too. So what's awesome about Jacob is that as he cheated, then he ended up in the service of another cheater. And Laban wanted him to continue to work for him year after year after year. And really is because Jacob thought that his daughter was really hot and he wanted her. But the problem was Laban had another daughter. Her name was Leah and she wasn't as hot and he needed to get rid of her. Isn't that horrible? So Laban tricks Jacob and Jacob ends up working for him for many years. And finally Jacob goes, I've had enough. I got to get out of here. And so he leaves and there's a whole episode. It's a beautiful story if you read it. It's not really beautiful. It's a crazy story, but it's a story that is very, like, full of intensity because you think someone's going to die, and then you don't, and then someone's going to get pulled back into Laban's servants, but he's not. And this is where we're at right now because Jacob is trying to run away from Laban, and he can't think of any other place to go but back home. The problem is he has to go back home to Esau, his brother who hates him and wants to kill him. I bet some of you walked in this morning and you can either remember a time that you were in a mess like this where you're running away from one thing, but what you're running to isn't that great either. And you don't know what to do. This is where Jacob finds himself. Chapter 32 Genesis, verse 3. Then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom. He told them, give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. I think he thinks that those kind of words are going to like make everything better. Until now, I've been living with Uncle Laban. 
And now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I've sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, uh, well, we met your brother, and he's already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household, along with the flocks and the herds and the camels, into two groups. He thought, if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. Maybe I won't lose it all, is basically what Jacob is saying. Then Jacob prayed. Now, I love this part of the scripture because I think this speaks to what we do. God gives us a promise, or we hear him speak, we begin to follow, and then a big mess happens because we try to do our own thing. And then as we're trying to get out of the mess, rather than turning to God first, we connive our own little plan on how we're still going to protect our part and then we pray. How many of you have done that? Oh yeah, you better raise your hands. Because even if you didn't say it out loud, you did it. You know you did. That you've heard a promise and then you try to connive your way out of it. You get in a mess. You don't go to the Lord who can save you. You go to yourself. And as we sang the songs, I may be weak, is a very true statement. The moment that you think you can fix your own problem, you should just say that. I'm weak. It's a very humble statement. You can say, I'm, I'm stupid, I'm weak, I'm not great. But guess what? Who is? God is. And that will prompt you, rather than trying to connive your way like Jacob did, you will pray first. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? Uh, maybe I should say that. Doesn't that sound like a good idea to pray first? Yes. All right. That sounds awesome. That's where I want you to be. O God of my grandfather Abraham and God my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives. And you promised me I will treat you kindly. He reminds God what he said. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother, Esau. I'm afraid that he's coming to attack me along with my wives and children, but you promised me I will surely treat you kindly, and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as as the sands along the seashore. Too many to count. But what would Esau do? Now we see in this story that Jacob is holding on to the past. And I know none of us ever do that. So especially in relationships, right? When someone harms you, do you have a tendency just to remember how they treated you badly? rather than all the other stuff 
Now, some of you are like, well, I know some people that that's all they know how to do is treat me badly. And you hold on to that. You go, well, you were that way, so you're going to be this way, and in the future, you'll be that way too. You're ornery. You're a messed up person. How many of you have looked at someone and just said, they're just a messed up person? (laughs) Oh, yeah. So Jacob, he's looking at Esau, and he's going, I've got a messed up brother. He wants to kill me, but I'm in a tight spot. So hopefully he will at least allow me to come back into the land that is actually mine. Remember, Jacob cheated Esau out of the blessing. The land that he's going back to is his by right. But he really messed up. So what would Esau do? Now, if you're in Esau's shoes, many of us would say, well, Esau has every right not to like Jacob. Esau has every right. In fact, many times we will go and say, I will take revenge for what that person did to me. I remember a statement that my father-in-law said once because someone had messed me over and he was like, man, I'm going to go put sugar in his gas tank. And I said, you know, Wayne, that's probably not a good idea. We like to take revenge, but secretly, I'll just tell you, that was the pastoral remark that I said it wasn't a good idea because actually I was like, I hope he doesn't listen to me. (laughs) Because that's how we are, right? We go, that person wronged me, so now I'm going to wrong them. On the freeway, what do you do? Yesterday, we were driving to Katy. Oh, I love driving to Katy. I love it. We were going 70 miles an hour on one of the widest freeways in the world. There's all these other lanes, and this guy comes rushing through and cuts around me, and then he shows me the, you know, I I won't do it. I'm more restricted. But he lifts his hand like this, and he does something. And I was like, are you serious? Immediately, my first reaction is, oh, I will show you. (laughs) I'm going to fly around you, buddy. I don't even have kids in the car. It's just me and my wife. (laughs) We want to take revenge. In fact, Esau, if he was, in a worldly sense, smart, he would have taken revenge. He would have destroyed Jacob and then ensured that this was his land. That the blessing that his father gave to Jacob would be null and void. That he would now be the rightful heir. The one that should have received everything. He could make everything right by getting rid of Jacob. But what would Esau do? Chapter 33, 1 through 4. Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided his children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children at the front. Awesome. He's a brave man. (laughs) Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then Jacob went on ahead 
As he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Catch this verse. Then Esau ran to meet him, and he embraced him, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. They both wept. There was reconciliation. Not because Jacob wanted it. Jacob was obligated to hope that there'd be reconciliation. Esau, the one who had all the power at this point, he gave it freely. In fact, in the moment that he threw his arms around Jacob and welcomed him back, was the moment that, Jake, that Esau sacrificed everything. He was welcoming, welcoming back the heir that would take the land that he was living in, away from him. Or could potentially. This was the faith that Esau had. That the relationship with his brother was more important than all the things that he had right now. And he was willing to give them all up to welcome his brother home. Esau wanted to reconcile with nothing to gain and everything to lose. Now that is reconciliation at its core. Jacob, however, was just hoping that he wouldn't get killed. And in fact, if you continue to read the story, Jacob doesn't totally believe that this is actually true. Because then Esau says, Jacob, come with me. With my 400 men, we'll protect you. We will come back to Seir, where I live. And you can be with me. And Jacob goes, oh, well, they're all tired, so we're going to just kind of hang out here, and then we'll follow you. And then he ends up going a different direction. He doesn't totally believe in the reconciliation that Esau so freely would give. It reminds me of a story that Jesus told, a parable of the prodigal son. In the story, Esau is definitely the father, and Jacob is the younger son. Luke chapter 15, verses 20 and 21. And this is the prodigal son returning to his father. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him, and he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy being called your son. Esau was so ready to give forgiveness, so ready to put the past behind and start a new beginning with his brother. That's what reconcilia reconciliation does. It brings a new beginning to something that you think is dead. It brings a new beginning to something that you think will harm you. It brings a new beginning to the stuff that you fear. Reconciliation brings new life. And Esau knew this. And so if we learn something from the story of Esau and Jacob is, in this part, we don't want to be Jacob. We want to be Esau. Even though Esau in the early in their story is kind of stupid for selling his birthright for a meal, God works in Esau later 
to show Jacob what it means to love. And that's who God is. He is a God of love. I wonder how many of you are thinking right now about a relationship that you have that needs reconciliation. I want you to take a moment just now, just let a few faces pass through your mind and your memory. Think about a few people, maybe some names will surface up, that either they hate you, or maybe you hate them. That's a strong word, right? So I'll lessen it because sometimes we don't like to deal with those strong words. Someone that you really don't like or someone who really doesn't like you. Someone that's hurt you in some way. Someone who has broken your trust. Think of those people right now. Because I think the story of Jacob and Esau is a great lesson for us today. It usually happens when there's a miscommunication, right? The breaking of a relationship. Usually happens when someone thinks something, even if it's not true, and they hold that and then they point to you and say, you're the reason. Let me tell you, as a pastor, this happens almost like daily. Someone thinks something, and I may not even have a chance to respond, and all of a sudden I find out, one more person hates me. And I go, why? Why do you hate me? What did I do? In fact, I remember a specific family. They were co-workers, but a man and a wife, and there was a misunderstanding and before I even had a chance to clear up what the misunderstanding was, before I even had a chance to say, look, that I wasn't, I didn't do that. Or the part that you think I did, I did do that and I'm sorry. I didn't get a chance to do that. And they left. And boy, oh, they, they hated me. And I'm using the word correctly here. They really did hate me. And I didn't get to see them for a year. And then all of a sudden, we appeared at the same place. Don't you love that? Just when it's a fading memory, boom, God hits you. And he's like, here you go. Will you follow my son or will you be Aaron? That wants to put sugar in the gasoline tank. And so I thought to myself, you know what? This is a good time. For reconciliation so I'm going to start it and I'm going to tell you how you do reconciliation it's really easy they walk by and I said hi <laughs> that's how you start it it's really easy you break the ice it's weird but you just go hi well the husband he saw me and he was trying to avoid me and when I said hi I had to say it again so I said hello and he turned and he's like, hi. And then he put his head down and he walked away. I'm like, well, that didn't go awesome. But maybe it will be better later. And so then I saw the wife and she came by and I did 
I did what I told you to do. I said, hi. And she looked and she goes, hi. And she turned, and it was one of those highs that you go, there's not a lot of love in the high. Have you received those? <laughs> like, you feel it. You go, I don't think you really like me with that high. There's a lot of, a lot of tonage there that didn't seem right, didn't feel right. But I'm going to pursue. And so I kept eye contact, and then she stopped. And she turned to me, and I got the hand. Have you ever got the hand? And she said, please stop. Please stop. Don't talk to me. Don't do anything. Now, you guys thought I was going to tell a story where reconciliation went well, didn't you? Sometimes it doesn't. That's why I told the story. I haven't got to speak to this family again, but I know that the opportunity that the Lord gave me at least allowed me to give some love. I didn't do it sarcastically. I did it with love. Can we put the past behind us and can we start again? We're all part of a family. Can we do it again? Sometimes people don't want to reconcile. Jacob didn't necessarily want to reconcile with Esau. But Esau took the risk and did it anyways. And I'll guarantee you that Esau with all the anger he had when Jacob left, the moment he embraced his brother and welcomed him home, the burden, the burden of hate lifted. You're never in a good spot when you hate someone. You just aren't. And you know it. You know it better than I do. I don't even have to preach about it. You know that when you hate, there's something that goes in your soul that just eats away. You know when you don't give a chance to the person that you're mad at to actually clear it up, you know there's something wrong there. You know that in your heart. You'll still do it. We'll all still do it, right? Because sometimes you have to have someone slap you to knock you out of it. Because you are so, we are so led to hate. The reason why we are led to hate is because God is love. Doesn't that sound, that sounds like I just misspoke, right? We are led to turn away from God, not towards God. So whenever you're in the motion of saying, I can't stand that person, is a moment that you are turning away from who God is and who he made you be into exactly who the prince of this world wants you to be. A person that doesn't care about relationships, a person that will push people aside, a person who will not reconcile. Because you feel that you need revenge or a reason to love that person. But that's not who God made us to be. He is a God of love who sent his son into a world that hated his son. And his son died for that world that hated him and spit on him in the last hours of his life. All for one thing. To reconcile us to the Father. So if we want to follow the words and the ways and the works of Jesus, we cannot push reconciliation out the door. No matter who it is. Now when I say that, you could say, oh boy, that's a hypocrite up there. 
Or you may hear someone say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to live in love and we're going to reconcile. And you can go, well, I saw you acted with that one person. That didn't look like reconciliation was there. What the Lord wants us to do is to try. Every day, try. It's just like reading your Bible. When you forget and you don't do it, the Lord wants you to try. He doesn't hold that against you. So maybe you have a relationship out there where you are withholding God's love from that person. And now you're going, I feel guilty. I feel shame. God doesn't see your guiltiness. God just offers grace. And he whispers in and says, try again. Try again. Remember who you are. Remember who you represent. You represent me. You're my child. You're in my kingdom. Represent my kingdom, not yours. Represent my kingdom, not yours. So I wonder how many of you have those relationships. Do you still have those names? Don't let those names go back into the distant memory because I'll guarantee you God will show you that you'll end up in a spot. It'll be a tight spot, maybe an elevator. I'll start praying for that. God will put you in an elevator with that person you are really having a hard time loving. Doesn't that sound good? Oh, well, we should pray for it because that's a good thing. That gives you an opportunity to face it directly and go, you know what? My hatred of this person isn't worth it. My unwillingness to love this person isn't worth it. Now, they may not love me, they may give you the hand. But you're going to release a burden that day. You're going to release it and you're going to be in freedom. Doesn't freedom sound good? When you're in a relationship where you're the hater, you're not in freedom. Never, ever, ever in freedom. When you've approached it and released it, guess what? People can still hate you. And boy, I've got, let me tell you, I've got a lot of people hate me. You may think, Aaron's nice, right? Say Aaron's nice. <laughs> right. Come on. Give me a little love. So you may think that, but there is a list of people that go, when they see Aaron Lytle, man, they just go, oh, I hate that guy. He is awful. So what I should be praying for, and I will, I'm going to commit it today. I don't, I don't want to pray for this. But I'm going to do it for those who hate me. And I've got a list. I won't name them right now. So that would be awful. That would be vengeful. That would be like Jacob. I want to be Esau. So for those who hate me, I'm going to be praying that I get stuck in an elevator with them. And that I don't avoid them. That I don't look down at the floor. I don't mumble something. I say... Hi. The beginnings of reconciliation. Jesus knew that reconciliation was important. In fact, Paul writes about it in Romans 5, 10 through 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, enemies of God, and yet he found us worthy enough to send his son to save much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Did you guys know that reconciliation means that you will decisively, get this, decisively change? This is what God was doing with us. He said, I will send my son so that you will decisively change. You will no longer not be a people with me. You will be a, without me, you'll be a people with me. You'll no longer be my enemies. You'll be my friends. You'll be my family. Decisively change. That's an action. It's not, oh, I hope this relationship just gets better. How many of you have thought that with something? And then tell me, how did it work? Not very well. Sometimes, out of the clear blue, it does. Rarely does it work. When you just sit back and go, I hope things change. No, you decisively change. That's reconciliation. That's what God does with us. He decisively changed and made us his family. And because of that gift that God gave us, he simply wants us to represent that gift to others. He wants us to live it so that when we tell people about how God reconciled the world to him, that they can believe it. It's hard to believe something from someone when you say, Jesus loves you, and then they see you hate someone else. You see what I mean? It's hard to say, God forgives you, when they see you not forgive someone else. If you're a child of God, we forgive. If you're a child of God, we love. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. A message we should pray that we find ourselves in the elevator with our enemy so that we can reconcile, so that we can decisively change. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. What an honor that is. As a child of God, we speak for Christ. That's why God is so protective of the words that we use because we're speaking for his son. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. All of us in here right now, we have a relationship we should try to reconcile. All of us in here today know that we have relationships where we should say this message, come back to God. Work out the first one first, and then when you tell someone to come back to God, they can look at your life and say, I think this is real. I think this forgiveness thing is real. I think 
this God that they believe in, who they call their father, is real. Come back to God. It's a powerful verse. Come back to God. He's already reconciled you. For some of you in here, maybe you need to come back to God. So the message is for you today. Come back to the one who loves you, who sent his son to die for you, who doesn't count anything against you, anything. It's all in the past because God doesn't deal with the past. He deals with the now and the future, and it's forgiven. A new beginning is waiting for you in Jesus. So, think of those names. Got them? Some of you are like, I've got too many to count. So think of the top three. Think of those names right now. Let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, we pray for these people, these individuals who have hurt us or we have hurt them. Lord, we pray that we would not hold on to that anger, but that we would walk into the freedom of forgiveness. Lord, we pray right now, as a house of God, as Oikos Church, that you would place us in proximity to those people who are on our mind right now, this week. We don't want to pray it, Lord, but that's what we're asking. Because we know that when you stretch us to be about your business and not our own, awesome things happen. I pray for those who are holding on to that hate this morning, holding on to that hate who are in this room this morning, that you would show them that there's freedom when they decisively change and they offer forgiveness. Lord, we pray that for those who have said, I don't want to reconcile with you, and they give us the hand, that you would soften their heart and give us another opportunity to speak kindly to them, to speak gently, to use your words and not ours. We want to be your people, Lord. We want to follow you. We have the best intentions, and yet we still fail. Thank you for not making us guilty or declaring that we're guilty, but simply giving us your grace. For you are a great God who loves us unconditionally. There's nothing that we can do to get it because you've already done everything to give it to us. So may we walk in that reality that we are your children, that in simple faith, you are calling us to represent your kingdom and that we will fail. But when we fail, you'll pick us up. And when, we, when you pick us up, we'll try again until you come again, until you restore all things as we believe that it's not just going to heaven as a spirit that is the end of the story. It's that you're returning again, declaring that all these things that were wrong are now made right. 
So we pray for your coming to come soon, O Lord, that you would come and declare all the things that are wrong, that you would make them right, that we would begin to walk with you for the rest of eternity in flesh and flesh, that we touch you because you are here again. So we pray for your coming. We pray for restored relationships. We pray for reconciliation. In your name we pray, amen.